had a job interview this week and the lady interviewing me, she said, are you good at performing under pressure? And I said, not my favourite, but yeah, I, I really try my best. She said, well, give me an example. I said, okay. Um, boom, ba, day. Um, ba, dum, ba, day. Um, ba, dum, ba, day. Under pressure. Pressing down on me. Pushing down on me. No man asked for. <laughs> Under pressure. The bones are building down. Spits a family in two. Puts people on the streets. Hello and welcome to Uncredible Adventures podcast with me, your host Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you here. This is the last episode in series one. I'm going to take a short break for the summer and at the end of the episode I'm going to do a little bit of a celebration of the the past 14 episodes, the journey we've been on together, this incredible adventure we've taken so far. But before that I've got a great episode for you. It's called The Stentory Circus. So I was on a training course recently and we played a game of two truths and a lie where you give three facts about yourself, two of which are true and one of them is entirely made up and everyone has to try and guess which one is the lie. So my three truths, the three things I said was, number one, I have performed in an opera. Number two, I have performed in a circus. And number three, I have performed CPR on a person. Now I've got a little bit of history with the circus. When I was a a kid for a few years in a row, once a year, Jerry Cottle's Circus used to come to town. And I remember I used to go with a few friends of mine. One of our mums would take us each year. And it was a really exciting night out to go and visit the circus, go with my mates, have some popcorn, sit in a big circus tent and, and watch the circus. I'm trying to think about it now and actually I can't remember a whole lot of the acts. There's only two things really that stand out in my mind. Number one was once we saw a guy getting shot out of a cannon into a net and that was terribly exciting and really dangerous and that was a very, very good act. And the other was this circus uh, quite a long time ago, but they had tigers. They had several tigers or certainly one of the years we went and they had these tigers and they brought these pour animals out into the ring that effectively had what what basically a fishing net around separating them from the audience and they got them to jump on chairs and do all sorts of things that tigers shouldn't be doing. I do remember how terrifically exciting it was to be so close with just thin air and a few strands of nylon between us and these deadly animals. Since then, gladly, of course, circuses in the UK have been banned from keeping wild animals or showing wild animals as part of the act, which I'm fully in support of. I did, to my shame, I did enjoy it. It was very exciting. But since then, I've seen documentaries and various things about the way they treated animals. Not a good life to be made to perform anyway, but I think even more difficult travelling around with a, a circus in the back of a lorry and a van. And these animals were not very well looked after so animals in circuses are a thing of the past but I must have had a 20 possibly 30 year break between watching those circuses and I never thought about circus I never visited one given up my 
too truth and a lie already there i've never performed in a circus i didn't even think about circuses until about three or four years ago when the circus came to town where we are and i thought oh it's a good thing i'll take the kids let's try and recapture some of what i used to enjoy as a child i doubt i'd really be into it now but i take the children there enjoy it'll be a good day out and we visited this traveling circus with had absolutely no expectation that i'd enjoy it i thought as an adult it would be simplistic and childish and not something i'd enjoy but in fact i found the opposite i found myself absolutely enthralled by so many different aspects and all looking at it now through the adult eyes and the way I view the world and the way I analyse some of the things there's so many different things I found interesting starting with just the marketing the way they advertise the circus so just the logistics of this travelling circus it has dates set throughout the UK where it's booked to arrive and we have several that come to town but a week or two before you have some outriders so the people that arrive before the circus and they put hundreds of flyers into all the chip shops and the corner shops and on the counters of various places and posters up on the wall so everyone knows look the circus is coming to town it's here for these three or four dates it's here for, for three nights this is when it's on I find myself really really interested I've got a background in economics and I find myself really interested in the idea that they put these flyers and it's that the first show is always half price with this flyer which is a great move to get all the people who wouldn't pay more for the circus or wouldn't go if it was more expensive to get them in on what would be the quietest night and then you look at the economics of price discrimination when you actually get there because of course you can get in half price but there's several different tiers so everyone's watching the same show everyone goes into the same tent watches the exact same show but they manage to charge wildly different prices so i think you can get in there for about four quid sitting on one of the chairs at the back and you can go all the way up in different tiered seatings or places to sit all the way to i think spending about 25 pound on a ticket to the circus which if you're at all interested in economics and you ever want to talk about price discrimination is actually the perfect case study there to see how do you get the people who are not willing to pay more than a few pounds to to buy your service or to come and see your show but at the same time the people who can afford to spend more and are willing to spend more how do you charge extra on top of that of course there's all the things they sell so glowing glasses that you can put on and popcorn and drinks and everything that's in there really a great case study in in economics and how they make it work and very very clever but we turned up at this circus and, and one of the first things that wowed me and I, and I really mean it wowed me something that I, I took totally for granted as a child but it's just the logistics of what they do so they turn up in a field in the middle of nowhere with vans and lorries and caravans and they managed to transform this field without any electric hookup no running water anything like that into a bustling thriving entertainment venue they erect this massive tent which i've never seen them put one up and take it down other in other than in dumbo where they of course right at the beginning of that film they're putting it up in a hard rain hard rain shower you know it's a terrible dark night and you know, they're hammering these tent pegs in and they're using the elephants to pull up the f huge poles i'd love to see how they do it but that's the first amazing thing and then you think they managed to make this community where they park all the lorries so you can see the advertising that's written on the side from the outside but it forms a barrier so no one can get in around at the sides and everyone has to go through the front door 
I guess everyone that performs in a circus has to drive some kind of vehicle because there's the lorries and the vans, but also everyone has to live there, so there's caravans and all the rest of it. It's just an incredible undertaking to to turn a, a, a blank field, a, a blank space into this bustling community and it really is a a tribute i think to the ingenuity of man and the things that we can do that you absolutely take for granted they must have diesel generators or something running somewhere because they use all sorts of electricity they've got lights and music and smoke machines you name it i mean for the insects and the bugs that live in the grass in that field for the rest of the year they must wonder what on earth is going on for those three or four nights but I was already interested at this point, you know, just getting through and buying the tickets and spending way more than I thought was appropriate. But I, I think tipping my hat a bit at how clever they were to have managed to get that money out of me. And we went in and we sat down with the kids and this guy that was dressed up, very clearly dressed up as a, a nerd. And we'd seen a picture of him on the adverts. We'd seen a picture of him on the flyer. He was the clown of the show. So he had thick nurse, nerd glasses and the shirt with lots of pens in the top pocket and everything you'd expect. And it was very, very exciting that he'd come and sat next to us and felt us feel part of the show and, and broken down that third wall and, and kind of made us real fo- really feel part of the action there. So before long, the lights dim, goes completely dark. The smoke machine comes on and smoky. Uh, smoke fills the room. Then a laser show starts and big, loud, showy music starts pumping out of these speakers and the spotlight comes on and out into the middle of the circus ring. And she introduces the circus and welcomes us. And then the lights go again. And when they come up, there are two long ribbons hanging down from the rafters of this unbelievably tall tent. And a lady in a glittery leotard comes on, beautiful lady. And she starts to climb up these two thick ribbons and does a few moves to sort of wrap them round her legs and her body. And there's a guy at the bottom who kind of grabs the bottom of the ribbons and he starts swinging them to give her a bit of movement. And... My jaw just dropped the music, the visual spectacle and just the graceful elegance as this woman flies around the tent over the top of our heads, like using every single inch of space. And then she starts doing things where she's knotted herself in a really careful way that she can roll down these ribbons, not holding on with her hands, no safety net, no wire or anything like that, just pure graceful elegance making it look so easy and then the excitement and the danger because a couple of times she pretends that she's falling but she manages to catch just at the last time absolutely wonderful i don't think i'd ever seen anything like that before in my life just this amazing thing that a human being can do with their body so athletic so graceful so artistic a just beautiful spectacle and that finishes really really quickly just to feel like it doesn't go on for long and then these lads come out and they set up essentially it's a barrel with a long plank of wood over it and a ladder next to it and one lad stands on the end of one one end of this plank of wood the other climbs up to the top of the ladder and he jumps down onto the other end of the plank of wood flipping it up like a seesaw and the guy jumps up and he flips up in the air and lands on the shoulders of another guy standing next to him and then another one climbs on the end of the seesaw and he is then jumped down and they 
he gets tossed up in the air and he lands on the shoulders of the guy that's already on the shoulders of the guy in front of him and onwards and onwards and it gets more and more sophisticated and more and more clever and they're jumping higher and different angles all with just quite spectacularly in a field like i said that yesterday had nothing here and now suddenly these people have come in with just a barrel and a plank of wood and a ladder and they're flying through the air flipping and lifting each other up it it it, it, it blows my brain it's absolutely spectacular and then the clown comes out this guy dressed as a nerd and he puts two chairs in the middle of the ring and he gets a lady someone's mum he gets her out from the audience and he says oh will you help me she's very shy and everyone gives her a round of applause and he brings her over to the chairs and he's miming that they're a car so he sort of mimes himself unlocking the door and the sound effects are perfectly timed so someone obviously is running a soundboard and perfectly timed for everything he does so when he blips the key you hear it blip and he mimes opening the door and getting in then invites the lady in and makes it he makes a joke you know she gets it wrong and he says oh and he gets out and he says you've got to open the door first because she just sits down he's like come on it's a chair and the, and the whole joke that he's winding her up the whole time is that she's not as good at the mime and he is and she keeps forgetting things and then he drives the car and you f- see him accelerate and he's like pushing her back when he's accelerating forward and left and right there was something i don't quite remember it but something cheeky anyway he ends up getting a, a kiss on the cheek from her the kids are laughing the adults are laughing again two chairs in the middle of in the middle of this tent and some sound effects and you're totally transported you're totally entertained another 15 minutes go by with a really really completely different but thoroughly entertaining act and before you've even had a chance to take a breath a a big muscle man comes out wearing just his leggings and he's got his shirt off and he's absolutely ripped and he has basically two poles sticking up out of the ground with hand rests on the top and he lifts himself up into like a handstand on top of them and then starts doing things so he, he lifts up so he's doing a handstand on just one hand and then he's bending over like a scorpion shape with his legs coming back over his head and he's swinging around and again the most amazing display of athleticism the strength the skill the precision and the patience that this man has and again you're wrapped you can't not watch this amazing performance and all he's got is these two sticks with handhelds on the end and it goes on and on another guy comes out and he he comes out and he puts a ball on the floor and he stands up on the ball and he's balancing on it so you imagine that he's sort of standing in place and balancing sort of backwards forwards side to side a bit on top of this ball and it's clever and you clap and you think oh that was really good i enjoyed that and then he comes and on top of the ball he puts a box and then he climbs up somehow on top of this box on top of a ball and he's standing balancing on a box on top of a ball and it again it blows your mind and then he puts a plank of wood on top of the box on top of the ball and on top of the plank of wood he puts a foam roller have you ever been in the gym it's like a thick a thick tube like a like a giant toilet roll and he stands up on top of that so suddenly he's balancing on a ball on a ball with a box on top with a plank of wood with a foam roller and another plank of wood and he's standing on that plank of wood and then he puts another box on top of that plank of wood and a foam roller going the other way and then another box on top of that and finally another plank of wood till this statue is taller than he is it's above his head and he has to get help to get on it but 
and and, it, and it, this this statue can't stand up on its own. It's so wobbly and and full of balls and various things that it has to be held up. But he climbs on the top of it. Everyone rushes away. And the grand finale, he's standing on this huge tower of things that are bending and wobbling in all directions. And he's got his balance. And it, it this one was really interesting because unlike the lady that was flying that made it look so easy and effortless, you can see the skill in this. It looks difficult. You can see that this guy is pushing himself right to his limits. And there's a real bravery there because you've got your heart in your mouth now, whether he, he was had it massively under control and it was for the showmanship or whether it was genuine, I don't know. Either way, I'm equally impressed. But another amazing performance by a person. And then the, the grand finale, the Thunderdome, they bring out this, this mesh metal ball about the size of, I, I don't know, the size of your living room. So not a big ball, but big enough. And four guys come out on motorbikes and one at a time they drive into this ball and they're driving around the edges of it and they're driving like upside down pretty much all the way around it and at one point you have all four of them in there going in different directions missing each other by inches on these really noisy motorbikes going upside down and round around in this tiny little box it's, this ball is not big at all and the whole time you're just waiting for a crash or thinking, how is this even didn't look physically possible? And there it is. This isn't TV. This isn't camera trick. It's right in front of your eyes. You're watching it. And then eventually there's a big dance number. They play some some cool pop music and all the cast come out and they dance along to it and they all do a little dance. And finally there's a big bow and they go off and the lights come up. And I remember the kids were really bored by this point. But I remember sitting there and I just had this overwhelming feeling. I just, the one thought I had was, I've wasted my life. I've never even scratched the surface in the amazing physical things that the human body is capable of. I've, I've never developed the skills or done what these people have. And sadly, in my late 30s, I'm well aware that it's never going to be something that I'm going to achieve I've missed my opportunity on that so two truths and a lie I've never performed in a circus but oh I wish I had of course the reality is that I think even if I'd completely dedicated myself to that with a, a single-minded focus I probably never would have made it to the circus of all the things I'm blessed with physicality and being good physically and athletically is not one of them I don't have the the interest in sports and in physical things. I don't have the natural ability and I've never put the practice in. And all of those things are, are fairly rare and, and each one of these circus performers must absolutely have them in spades. They must be naturally brilliant. They must be absolutely dedicated to have put all the work and the the effort and the practice in. And they must have had an interest that sparked them in the first place and kept them going throughout it. And the buzz they must get from performing, I, I guess it must be addictive because it's a tough life. I, I don't think they get paid a huge amount and they travel around and they live in caravans and they're away from their families and it's quite disruptive, I'm sure. But the, the, the reward is the fact that they get to fly around the big top in front of people. So I've got quite a few qualifications and 
I've won a few minor awards and things like that. But the the one thing that I'm most proud of, the one award or qualification or achievement that I'm probably most proud of over everything is the fact that I've got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu white belt with four tabs on it. Now, I'm not going to over-egg that as an achievement. Clearly, it's just a white belt. But if you don't know Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that is still take some earning. They do not give those tabs away easily. And to get to that point, you really have to prove yourself and you have to learn. And the reason I'm really proud of it is because I, I started Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I, I saw a club in town. I thought, I'll give that a go. And I really wasn't good at it. I don't have, I guess it's a, it's a kind of intelligence, so this kind of physical and kinesthetic awareness. And it, and it presents itself that during training, the instructors or the coach will, will demonstrate a move. So he'll be on the floor with a partner and he'll say, right, you put your arm through here and you re grab onto their collar here. Your other arm goes over the back and you can get the back of their arm and then you pull here and you flip the person over or whatever it is, and I'll stand there desperately trying to concentrate, but I find my mind wandering. So first of all, I, I, it doesn't capture my brain enough in the way that if someone was talking about science or reading a book, I you know I, I find it really easy to concentrate and memorise it, but this I find very difficult to concentrate. And then when you go off in your partners and you train, I find it almost impossible to make my body do the same things. I can't, as soon as you rotate me slightly or I'm facing a different way, I cannot work out which way is up and down, which is my left arm, my right arm. I just don't have it. So I'm not a natural by any extent, but I, I stuck with it for a very, very long time. It took me two years to get these four tabs. And I, I competed, I did a competition, I got beaten in both of my fights <laughs> by people better than me, but I'm so proud that I did it anyway. But whereas I've got some decent qualifications and won other awards, that belt is really, really special to me because it's so far outside my natural ability, my comfort zone, the things I'm good at, the things that I can do easily. And it represents probably the, the longest period of toil and struggle and fighting against adversity to get something that I wanted. And that's why it's important to me. Of course, the rise of the internet and social media has given us a, a new breed of health and fitness gurus so it used to be guys that worked in leisure centers in the gym and now you have personalities and people and influencers and people whose job it is to talk about health and fitness and to sell you personal training programs or impersonal training programs the really successful ones because they're selling them in the hundreds of thousands but broadly i've noticed they tend to fall into one of two camps so you've got the the snake oil salesman, you've got the, the fit bros, the, the influencers, and these are the type of people that are trying to always sell you the next best thing, the next best diet that will change everything you've done or a different exercise or a new way of doing things. Do this and you'll look like me. This is what you've got to do. Usually it's the same old nonsense in a different wrapper. It's all variations on the same crash diet or the same extreme way of eating. But these guys and these girls, they look great. They look the part. They look amazing. They talk really convincingly and they suck you in and they're very, very good at motivating people and thinking, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. That's what I want to look like. And they make their living from recruiting people, really, I guess, to, to that inspirational way of life. And then naturally following on from that, you've got a newer wave, which is the science bros. 
And these are the, uh, the, the science-based nutrition and training men and women. So the people that started to realise that you can study clinical papers and you can read about nutrition and you can get really geeky with it and distill it down to really what works and dispel all of the nonsense and all of the old wives' tales and all the things we think we know are true about fitness and they can talk the absolute truth. The issue I've found with many of them is that the sad truth of health and fitness is that it's really quite simple. So weight loss, for example, is just about calories in, the calories out. If you want to lose fat and weight, you've got to eat less and exercise more. Now, that's less appealing than the guy on the other channel that's telling you, no, if you only eat foods that begin with the letter B, you can get a six-pack like me in four days. So you see a lot of these science bros, they, they kind of run out of things to talk about. So they, what they tend to do is to spend most of their time, they have to make content. That's the way social media works. You constantly have to churn out more content. And the way they do it is they, they tend to just go on the attack of the the, the, the thin inspiration, the, the fitness the fitness jocks and all the people and basically just make really sarcastic videos about oh look this guy's telling you to eat keto because it does this well actually it doesn't you know this study shows that weight loss compared to this is no different all the rest and unfortunately it comes across a lot of them just relentlessly negative so you're, you're, you're kind of stuck between two two shelves here where you've got the really positive guys and, and girls that are saying you can do this look you just got to do this but are talking absolute trash and the guys that are talking honestly to you, but you just get a wall of negativity. However, there is one that I like. There's a guy called Ben Carpenter who talks a lot of sense. And I don't follow him religiously, but I followed him at some point on Facebook. And I check in there a couple of times a month. And he's generally got something I look. But caught my eye the other week. And I wish I'd... It, it was one of these videos that disappears. So... I've only got a hazy memory and I wish I'd recorded it, but it really struck a chord with me. And he basically said, when you're looking at a fitness guy with a six pack and big boulder shoulders and he's telling you, oh, you've just got to do, you know, you've just got to find the motivation and go in the gym and lift weights and you can look like me. The sad reality is that for most people, that level of physical perfection, that level of the way he looks and, and, and the way that he's tuned his body is just unachievable. And if you're someone who's not athletic or you're someone who's struggled with their weight or struggled with their fitness or doesn't naturally have good ability, doesn't have good intelligence for, for physicality, and I'd, I'd put myself in those in that category, it's a bit of an illusion to say, if you train like me, you will look like me because what's happened with these 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 men and women who are naturally athletic who naturally have the ability to build muscle and to stay lean and enjoy sport enjoy that feeling and, and, and really have that in them and i think everyone can learn that to a certain extent but the people who have it naturally part of their dna that they have to be active well those people at some point they went into a gym and they said oh, i'm going to try and lift some weights like all of us has i'm sure at some point only the difference is because of their natural talents and their natural abilities they saw really good quick results when they started to train and those results were the things that set the seed of yes i want to do this because quickly they started to look good they started to get muscly or slim down or perhaps they were already muscly they were already tall and broad-shouldered and slim waist but they get a lot of attention for it and it 
becomes this thing that they get constant positive reinforcement. They see the results of their labor. They see what they're doing and they get better and better at it. And it's a totally different mindset to someone who who really struggles with this type of thing, who will might go to the gym religiously and, and set yourself, you know, for the next six weeks, I'm going to go every day and I'm going to train really hard. I'm going to hate every single minute of it. And at the end of the six weeks, you look marginally better. You still don't look anything like one of these guys. And it seems a mile off, at which point you give up. You, you naturally don't want to continue. And it really stuck a chord with me because it's it's true for everything. So there's some things that naturally you're going to be good at and some things you do well and some things that you find easy. And those are the things that if you dedicate yourself to them, you're going to get the best results for. So the natural athletes at school, they love PE, they love training, but the, the fat kids or the people who aren't good at it, they've got short legs, they're always going to hate cross country. They're, they're, they're never going to be good at it. And it works the other way as well. For someone who has dyslexia, for example, to go through school, it's harder for those people to, to read, to write, to, to, to understand language, do that type of thing. So it's, it'd be a much greater challenge for someone who, who's suffering from dyslexia to dedicate their life to reading and writing and academic side of things like that. Now, I've I, got to be careful how I say that because I work with people with dyslexia who have overcome it or have managed to work around it, and they're, they're absolutely brilliant. I, mean, I was talking, actually, when I was thinking about this podcast, I was talking to one of my colleagues who... She's an instructor for Taekwondo. And I was saying about this, how I don't have that part of my brain where I can look at what someone else's body is doing and replicate it with my body. And she said, oh, I, she, she is dyslexic and, and she has difficulty with remembering things or, or taking on written knowledge. So she works in her head. So to be an instructor, she has to understand a lot of the history of Taekwondo about the, the grand masters that set it up in the first place and the history of it that she has to teach as part of the curriculum, which she finds really difficult. But she's she's developed techniques and, and ways of doing it that work for her. So she's got a, a picture in her head. So when she has to tell the story of the guy that founded Taekwondo, she says oh well I, I see him and he's standing there and he's holding a scroll and he's holding a I can't remember what it's a quill or something she says and that's why I remember he was a he was a philosopher and a scholar and she's got this whole speech which is just like a picture she follows in her head it, it's quite amazing and I said just now about someone with dyslexia who might find the academic subjects at school more challenging and is will find it harder to excel in those areas and will have to work harder and dedicate themselves more and is less likely to succeed because of that on, on average if you, if you take enough people. But I, I read something the other day that said actually dyslexia is not a disorder, it's an evolutionary advantage. So you tend to look at it and say, well, dyslexia, if it, it gives you difficulty in reading and writing and spelling then that's a neurocognitive condition. You know, that's something that is not working properly in a person's brain and it's something that holds them back. But actually, in evolutionary terms, what they're now saying is dyslexia is, is a really useful specialisation because dyslexia comes with the flip side that it will make people more prepared or more interested in exploring. So... Well, well, someone who, who's not dyslexic is probably better at using knowledge and information. 
dyslexic people are, are really good at exploring and tackling the unknown and going out and finding new things. So you imagine in the societies we used to live in, one in five people has dyslexia. Well, they would be the people that would be exploring, would be discovering new things, trying new things, pushing the boundaries, physically going out and looking and finding new things. But now we see dyslexia as a problem because the modern education system, the way that we are educated and the things that you have to do in schools are really focused on the areas that these people struggle with and doesn't focus or doesn't give enough credence or weight to the areas that they would excel in. And the secret to success is to play to your strengths, to focus on what you're good at. So at my work we use a company called Gallup you probably hear about Gallup you'll hear Gallup opinion polls when there's an election and things like that and it's the same company so Gallup effectively they are a company that's based around understanding people understanding people's motivations understanding what makes people tick what makes people effective what make what turns people on turns people off that's why they do opinion polls because they are constantly studying the reaction of people to what's going on in in the world in politics and things like that but they also have a system it's called Gallup strengths or Clifton strengths actually from Gallup essentially essentially the philosophy that my business uses and I love it is that there is no wrong or right way to do something there's no wrong or right profile of a person that can excel in any field but if you spend too much time working on your weaknesses you miss the opportunities that would be gained and you get better progress if you focus on your strengths and my team the way I manage my team is that we're a strengths focused team so we all understand what our individual strengths are and we play to them and we we minimize the exposure to the things we're not good at we don't worry too much about trying to bring up our weakest areas we what we focus on is excelling and being the very best we can at the things we find easy the things we're naturally good at and and Gallup strengths there's four domains for different strengths i think i can't remember i've got it not got it in front of me but it's about 30 different strengths that you can have and they you basically do a, a, a personality test and it will rank all of these strengths in order for your highest to your lowest and the different domains are executing influencing relationship building and strategic thinking and what you get effectively is you you get a long report of all the things you're good at and the things at the top are what you're best at and and it, it teaches you how to really focus and use those skills to the best of your ability and the things at the bottom that you're not good at you you learn to delegate and ask for help and get other people to help you with those things i'll give you an example one of, and, and you get a top five so apparently the top five is unique to you so no other person will have the same top five as you in my top five i've got one that's called achiever which is, is quite nice on paper to have but it's not about being a winner <laughs> or it does help but it's more about the way your brain ticks to you need to constantly be achieving things you need to constantly be ticking stuff off for me this is how it presents itself is that I work very much from to-do lists I have to tick and constantly be hitting things and I and, and I remember I had a very dark period in my life where all I wanted to do was sit on the sofa and not do anything it used to make me feel worse and worse and worse and I've said this in a previous podcast that the way I pulled myself out of that was I started cleaning my house. I just used to, to every time I didn't want to do anything, I said, well, look, just clean my house, you know, do the washing up, do the cleaning, knock it into small tasks. 
And that really, really helped me. But it's because I've got Achiever high in my top five that that small act of doing and achieving and ticking off, even though it's cleaning a house or something small, really, really benefits me mentally and drives me forward. But if I had to be, if, if what I think my unique talent is, you know, I'm not good at sports or physical things, but my, my biggest talent, and this isn't from Gallup, this is for me personally, is I think I'm, I'm, is empathy. I'm very, very good at putting myself in someone else's shoes and understanding how that person feels and being able to get a handle for, for what makes that, what that person is feeling in the moment. And it's, it's an absolute blessing it helps me with a lot of things, but it's also a curse. I used to, I've, I've had this since I was very, very young. Um, I used to be incredibly concerned with animal welfare when I was young because I had this empathy that I couldn't, I, I couldn't look at any animal or, or any creature and not put myself in their shoes and imagine how they were feeling. And I, I, I've, I've, I've I'm still a strong advocate for animal rights, but it, when I was a child and it was out of control, I'd do, you know, I'd sit up at night not able to sleep, sobbing, because I'd be thinking about the spider that was in the living room that we scooped up and put out in the garden, and I'd be worried about how he felt about being out in the cold and the dark and. Did he know where he was? He wouldn't have understood what happened. Maybe he's left his family behind or his nest or, you know, has he managed to find somewhere to crawl into? Is he out in the rain? Is it? And I used to drive myself mad with that. Now, I, I still, like I said, I'm still an advocate for animal rights, but I've kind of balanced it a little bit more and I've got a bit more understanding of things. Strangely, meditating is something that has help, helps me put things into perspective. And the idea they say that pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional and for instance if you're walking and you get caught out in a rain shower now it's cold and it's uncomfortable and it's not nice but actually it's the mental games that get played it's the fact that you have an expectation that you should be warm and dry and cozy and you feel upset about it that actually adds the suffering to the fact that you're cold and wet which is mildly unpleasant but where you really suffer is where you think about it and you feel poor me you have an expectation that's not been met. But anyway, I'm good at empathy, which I use to my advantage. I'm also good at writing and reading and that type of things. And there's a little bit of checking an egg here because the way I've developed my empathy, I believe, is through reading. So I've read a lot. And what are you doing in reading? Well, you're putting yourself in someone else's head. You're seeing things through someone else's eyes. You're understanding how they view things. And if you read enough, I think you get such diverse set of perspectives, it really strengthens your ability to understand other people's positions. So reading, listening to podcasts, chatting to people, getting other perspectives are all things that I've used to sharpen my axe and improve my ability to put myself in someone else's shoes. There's a bit of chicken and egg there, because like I said earlier, have I got good at empathy because I have read a lot and I've listened to a lot of podcasts? Well, actually, it's probably more the other way that the fact, the reason why I've read so much and the reason that I've done so many podcasts because I had empathy in the first place. So when I read a book, initially, it was easy for me to, to transport myself and to be in that place where I understood the other person, exactly what I was talking about earlier with the guy with the six pack and training only with me it was picking up a book and I saw instant results so then I dedicated to it and then it made me better and better at it 
and I'm not in a good position now to to go with someone who finds reading a real struggle I wouldn't be able to give them good useful advice because I do not understand that struggle I do not understand the effort they would have to make and how to connect with that person to to help them to achieve what I do through reading but the whole thing has made me good at conversation good at interested in other people's perspectives I've got a good memory for small details because I find it interesting if it's linked to people what's that got to do with the circus Cornelius (laughs) do you know what I'm glad you asked that because the, the most amazing thing that I found when I went to see the circus the thing that really wowed me and it's linked to the ideas that you can just take a field there's a field one day and construct this big amusement center overnight with limited resources it's this so the circus essentially if you're in a circus you're given a piece of floor about the size of half a tennis court you got you're limited to the props that you can carry with you that that don't require a lot of setup that you can take up and down quickly between performances and you give them 15 minutes and I put myself in the shoes of these performers you give them 15 minutes and they say right you are entertaining this crowd who have come to see nothing in particular but everything linked to circus and you've got 15 minutes what are you going to do and when I was watching that circus I really was thinking about how these acts were built so if you were good at juggling for instance and I said right you've got to do a circus act now you've got 15 minutes you can have a few props but nothing too special certainly no camera trick or anything like that you've just got a flat floor what are you going to do and you might go from juggling you say okay well what i'm going to do is juggle but i'm going to make it progressively more extreme and interesting so i'm going to juggle with three balls and then four balls then i'm going to juggle with clubs then i'm going to juggle with fire i'm going to juggle throwing the balls really high in the air then i'm going to juggle riding a bicycle around or you know riding on the back of the horse juggling and and in that way they build these acts and then perform them 15 minutes of magic with no introduction and no ending they've got to get straight to the point they have to capture every single person that's in that big top from the smallest children to the oldest adults with an interesting and enjoyable feat could be comedy a lot of it is physical and acrobatics based but it's just that idea of putting on a show and and the question here is if you were in the circus what would you do if i said to you look in six months time you're going to be in the circus you've got this empty space you've got 15 minutes what's your act what would you do and i find that such a fascinating question and i'm absolutely in awe of these people that are in the circus and have worked it out and have done something have made my jaw drop so now think of this itunes is the big top and A podcast is that empty space the size of half a tennis court where you could be. And you've got 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour to entertain people in any way you seem fit. Now, there's limitations. It can't be visual. It's only over a podcast. But you can be creative. You can use music. You can use sound and sound effects. You can have other people. You can bring people in. You can do a lot of research. You can be a specialist in your subject. You can learn a lot for this. Or you can do something funny. Or you can play games. Or you can do what I do, which is just sit and talk to a microphone for an hour about things that I'm interested in. 
but think of it like this every podcast you see or, or certainly every independent podcast you see is someone's circus act it's someone saying that i've got a recorder here and a microphone and i'm going to make something that will fill the space of half an hour and an hour that people want to listen to that will entertain people and that is me this is me this is my circus act i'm never going to be able to do a trapeze i'm never going to be able to climb a, a ladder or balance on a ball but what i am good at is talking and sharing stories and trying to entertain people and this is my circus act i've got very minimal props just heard my head there hitting my uh, my screen i don't have a good setup i've got minimal props i've got a microphone i don't script this i hardly edit it at all i've got a little bit of music that i do at the beginning but what you've got is just me with a spotlight <laughs> me with a microphone and spotlight is on me and in my head when i'm talking to this microphone i see you and you're in a seat in the big circus ring top when i'm performing to you and i record this live so no matter where you're listening to it you're listening to something that i recorded live i've got the adrenaline right now i've got the idea of you right in front of me listening to every word i say and i have to get it right it's an absolute buzz and it's a way for me to use my skills and it makes me think maybe i didn't waste my life after all maybe i'm playing to my strengths and maybe this podcast is the way that i express myself the way that i do something creative put myself out into the world put myself on that stage and have people come to see the show that i wanted to make the thing that makes sense to me so listen maybe that's inspired you slightly i hope it has what's your podcast what is inside you this is such an accessible medium it really is you don't need much equipment you don't need a permission you don't need a budget you can get yourself a microphone you can record it into your computer and you can upload it you could have a podcast out by this time tomorrow and if there's even part of you that's interested in that my recommendation my firm and strong recommendation would be go for it just do it what's the worst that can happen i launched this podcast on the 1st of april a few months ago and my biggest fear the thing that almost stopped me doing it was i thought i was going to get criticism i thought i was going to put myself out into the public sphere and i was going to get gunned down i wouldn't be able to deal with that because i'd have people insulting me and saying that what i did was bad or they disagreed with me i've not had any of that at all mainly because people don't like it they don't listen <laughs> no one has really got time to sit through an hour-long podcast to say something horrible about me so i, I it, it's quite self-filtering that i only get the people that do enjoy it but the brilliant thing about that is some of you do get it some of you do enjoy it and that is so rewarding to me when i look back to the last three months so i haven't flyered your town i didn't put leaflets everywhere saying half price entry with this i started twitter a few weeks before the podcast started with zero followers i still not followed by anyone i know or following anyone i know my wife knows about the podcast and listens but apart from that i've not got one single person i know that i've actually told this about so everything that we've built and everything every person that listens is someone that has found them found me or i found them organically in the last few months i didn't have a, a running start at all but we've had some massive massive achievements in this series one the number of listeners goes up literally episode by episode since episode one there's a lot of you out there now listening to this
I met an amazing community of podcasters, fellow people who are, are interested in podcasting and run their own podcasts. They're on Twitter and they welcomed me in. There's so many different people that have been kind to me and talked to me, but a few standouts, a couple of my favourites here, Friends Partying in Hell. They're dropping the format. They're going over to YouTube and doing videos, which it, I'm sad because I love to listen to them, but I'll still be able to listen through YouTube. But good luck to them. Ramblings of a Revenant Alien. It's a guy with a microphone like me. He plays his own music as well. It's fantastic. But another guy that he introduced himself to me and he's been a great supporter. I love what he does. Key contact there. Phantom Jukebox. Those guys are brilliant. Let's Talk Petty. There's so many podcasters and small podcasters that are kind to me and welcomed me to this community and helped me get started. We've got a huge number of subscribers on this show. Um, we peaked the highest we got to is number eight in the uk itunes stand-up comedy podcast chart which is absolutely mind-blowing number eight in a chart we've been in the top 100 charts in america in canada and in ireland got downloads from from every single corner of the globe every single continent and this is not a it's not a circus in a, in a damp dorset field this is more like piccadilly circus where i've got people from all corners of the world passing through and of course most importantly i've got the people that that listen to this and and all of you that listen but particularly the people that listen and have reached out and sent me a comment or interacted or let me know what they think i, I can't tell you how much it squealed when i when a nasa scientist reached out and told me that he likes my show like a, a real person with such an incredible job and an incredible thing about them likes what i'm doing i had some lovely reviews i'm going to take a minute just to read a couple of the reviews that we've had from listeners over various platforms one here this podcast is great company i really enjoy listening to cornelius tell his tall tales another one a thoroughly enjoyable podcast in which cornelius recounts amusing tales of misadventure there's one here that it reads a little bit rambling to me if you know what i mean it says the best sort of podcast to nourish your soul and take you away from the madness for a while cornelius feels like the old friend that we're thankful to have he's a fantastic storyteller keep them coming some people have the gift of the gab and cornelius is in that number if i talked about going to the dentist for 45 minutes i'd even put myself to sleep when he does it i'm sad when the story's over this show is a gem but it's fun every episode no matter the subject matter cornelius has you glued to the listening device with this great pod interesting great sound quality this is a must listen and even more special are some of the personal messages i get and there's been quite a few people have reached out to me i'll read a couple here i like this one this is i didn't spot this one it came in on instagram I, i'm not on instagram very often so i missed this one but i, I picked up later it said i've just be, i've just started listening and i really love your podcast i follow so many now and everyone tries to be a bit edgy this is so different you are hilarious and your tales and voice in general are very comforting I'm only on episode three, but I'm looking forward to getting to the latest one and then impatiently waiting for a new one every week. <laughs> anyway, please keep going. I love it. What an amazing, what an amazing message to get. I, I, I did a, I did an episode very early on where I was kind of gloating when we, I think we got to 22 in the iTunes chart, and I, I did a whole episode about how good it is, and then I did an episode saying I'm not looking at anything like that because it's not good for my ego so just indulge me just for this little bit as we come to the end of series one and everything that we've done thank you so much for being along on this ride with me 
I've got a really, really special message here. I'm not going to read all of it because it's very intensely personal and it's not my story to tell, but I, I hope the, the person that sent me this won't mind me reading a little bit. So this is someone who'd been through a very, very difficult time and just coming out the back end of an incredibly difficult time, sent me a lovely message and part of it here your podcast on teaspoons was the first thing i've actually been able to listen to and enjoy i have a head full of useless trivia and information and it was nice to listen to your podcast as my mind makes random connections from one subject to the other sorry for the rambling but today has now felt better after listening to your podcast and i just wanted to say thank you for that <laughs> I, yeah i don't know what to say a really really nice message to receive and and i i sent you a message back but you're absolutely welcome i'm so pleased that you've managed to get something from this i'm so pleased that i've helped you even in a little way i like the guy earlier that said everyone tries to be edgy i try and do the opposite i'm trying to make this really gentle and kind i want i want to make people people feel good and make people feel happy and i think we're I think we're achieving that with with some of you at least. So this is me talking now. The lights have come up. The show's over. Are you feeling like you've wasted your life at all? Is there a chance that you could make a podcast your act? But if you're interested, you want to get into podcasting or anything like that. If you want some help, you want some advice, if you want tips, then reach out. I'll either tell you directly or I'll point you in the right direction. If you want to copy what I do, if you want to bring out a podcast that is basically what I do, I'll tell you exactly how I do it step by step. Don't be a stranger. I'm on Twitter at UncrediblePod. Or you can email me, that is hello at UncrediblePodAdventures.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, just generally i'd love to hear from you but especially if you you're inspired if you're thinking you want to record a podcast or have a go yourself let me be part of that journey with you it's been fantastic for me and i'd love to inspire a few more people to start following this chart it's not a route to fame and fortune and riches unfortunately i've been incredibly successful way above the curve for this podcast but still a very very long way off of, of any of those big things but you have to do it for the love for the passion for the ability to get your voice out there and be doing something creative that means something to you and connecting with people across the world so this is me cornelius i'm signing off i'm taking a break now for the summer i'm absolutely fried at work i've got a i've got a very busy job and i i give my absolute all to it i work really really hard it's not a physical job it's a, a brain job but I, I i work so hard it's been a long year i'm a bit fried so i'm giving my brain a bit of a rest i'm going to spend some time with my family we've got a, a couple of camping holidays in in dorset booked i don't know when i'm going to be back yet probably before the end of august but we'll we see how it goes see how much i miss you and see how much relaxation i get done but look I've made about a quarter of the episodes that were on the sheets that I first made when I was sort of giving ideas of what each episode would be about. So there's loads more in the bank. There's so many more stories I want to tell you. So many more episodes yet to be made. Have a really, really good summer. I'll definitely see you by the autumn. I am Cornelius, and I'm really pleased to have had you here. i just got one final bit here just if anyone's interested I, I i managed to i hope make this podcast sound faintly 
professional and like I'm recording it in a studio. I'm not. I'm, I'm recording it in the most broken down shed office you've ever seen. So I stick my head in this little box every week <laughs> to record the podcast. And just for those that are interested, I, I'm going to just dismantle the box around the microphone now. So for the next few moments, you can hear what it actually sounds like in this room outside of this tiny little box that I record into. Right on cue, some div with a overly loud exhaust pipe has rumbled past the house, which they do endlessly. It's got dark outside now, so you can't hear the seagulls. All right, there's a car going past. There we are. This has been Uncredible Adventures with me, your host, Cornelius.